And welcome to Imagination Fun Time. I am your host, Brandon Devine. <clears throat> Hello, how are you? It has been a hot minute since I've recorded an episode of my podcast. It's been probably about five, six months, something like that. I think since like September or August, something like that. Um, the truth is, I've been in jail. Um, I committed a horrible robbery out of desperation. I robbed a gas station. Uh, several people died, unfortunately. That's just the nature of, you know, robbing, robbing a gas station. Sometimes, you know, they just don't give the money. You know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. And naturally, I got caught, but I got out of it. Technicality, I had to spend like six months in jail, so it's okay. <laughs> okay, for those, of you freak, for those of you who are mad at me for making such a dark joke right now, I'm fucking kidding. I was not in jail. I just been, you know, busy doing stuff. You know, life gets in the way, you know, I've been busy uh, doing, you know, just trying to make money, get my life together, figuring out the next move, stuff like that. You know, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff has happened in the past six months. Uh, finally got to go back to New York, got to see New York City again for the first time in like, you know, probably five, six years, something like that. The longest stretch I've gone without seeing my favorite place in the entire world. Got to see all my family, great family wedding, stuff like that. Um, I recorded a voiceover demo. In the fall, uh, trying to break into the voiceover industry. Hopefully, this podcast is a way that will be able to help me get along with that. Um, showcase my amazing voice. <laughs> um, let's see, what else have I done? Oh, yeah, and I've been getting involved, been starting to get involved in local theater. I did a Christmas play at the Arkansas Public Theater in Rogers, Arkansas. Um, I played a mi small minor role of a medic and a fireman, um, and I've also been been auditioning for their upcoming plays. Haven't got cast in anything yet, but you know, here's here's hoping. You know, as an actor, you know that's the nature of the game. You know, you win some, you lose some. It's all part of life. Um, just got to keep going with it. They have been volunteering with them, ushering, and trying to help out. So we'll see what happens. Um, basically other than that, since, uh, since the last podcast, uh, I remember on the last podcast I was talking about how I was really bummed because they still hadn't released a trailer for the Matrix, uh, Resurrections. And now obviously since then the movie has come out and I'm just, I could spend probably an entire podcast episode multiple talking about my mixed feelings about that movie. So... This is the best way to describe it. As a diehard, diehard Matrix fan, I had very mixed feelings about the episode. So, you win some, you lose some. I still love the Matrix, no matter what. Alright. But that's enough about me and my boring-ass life, because I'm sure that's why none of you tuned in today to listen to me rattle on about my shitty, boring-ass life here in Arkansas. You tuned in to listen to me talk about movies. So... Before we do that, let's read some news. What's going on in the world of IMDb today? All right. So, today, as of today, Monday, February 28th, 2022, at 2.11 p.m., the top news on IMDb is about the SAG Awards. SAG Awards, CODA, Ted Lasso, Succession takes top prize in emotionally... Politically charged telecast because, of course, you know, yes, it is truly terrible what's going on in the Ukraine right now. It's fucking horrible. That sucks. And it's 
terrible, terrible shit. And naturally, when horrific um, occurrences in humanity happen, naturally, Hollywood actors have to tune in and show that they really care and want to somehow take charge, even though they have no business taking charge of anything political and should just shut the fuck up and continue acting the way I want to. (laughs) Um, I didn't watch the SAG Awards, but... I'm sure there are a lot of good winners. Tom Holland's Uncharted nears 150 million at international box office and crosses 220 million box office globally. I mean, it's good to it's good at least you know a movie that's not a major. Well, technically, it is part of a franchise, but it's like a video game franchise, and at least it's doing well. I've heard it's gotten some decent reviews. And Tom Holland, Mark Wahlberg, that seems like a great combination, just in general. Okay, Tina Fey, Steve Martin, Conan O'Brien, and more, including, as I know, Elliot Gold, Paul Rudd, induct John Mulaney into the SNL Five Timers Club. John Mulaney fucking killed it again on SNL. Fucking killed it. Um, he did such an amazing job. The Subway Churro is fucking great, as always. Another amazing musical number. And I'm sure that, you know, in the next year or two, we're going to get another episode of John Mulaney. So, way to go, SNL. And finally, uh, the NAACP Image Award 2022 winners, The Harder They Fall, Jennifer Hudson, and Will Smith take top honors. I've heard that The Harder They Fall is a really good film. I just I haven't watched it, but, you know, a Western, special, a Western that um, can help defy, you know, the typical... Um, standards and traditions of a Western and still make a really great movie is really awesome. um, It's definitely a movie I do need to check out. There's still tons of shit I need to check out. But anyways, so let's get into what you tuned into this episode to hear me ramble on about. And that is a little movie from 1979 called Alien. Okay, to start off, the movie is called, obviously, Alien. (laughs) Alien... Um, is a movie that was written by Dan O... It was a screenplay that was written by Dan O'Banion based on a story by Dan O'Banion and Ronald Schust. Schust? Schust? I really hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm really sorry if I'm screwing that up. Uh, the movie was produced by Gordon Carroll, uh, David Gallagher, David Geiler, and the great Walter Hill. And it is directed by the legendary, amazing, a true hero of mine in life, the amazing Ridley Scott, in what became arguably his big breakthrough film. It wasn't his first major film. That was The Duelist. But this was his, this was the big break. This was definitely his big breakthrough, was uh, Alien. The movie was originally released on, oh, look at that. Another amazing day to release a movie. May 25th, 1979. For those of you who don't know, May 25th is my birthday. So, ha ha ha. I was born, so I was born uh, 14 14 years after this movie was released. That's pretty awesome. Uh, The movie stars, the star of the movies is Sigourney Weaver, Tom Skerritt, Veronica Carthright, Harry Dean Stanton, John Hurt, Ian Holmes, Yafet Koto, and... Uh, Bolajay Badiji, I'm so sorry, man. My with my uh, f- fucking uh, uh, 
dyslexia, it's super hard for me to pronounce, named Bolaji Badgio Badejo. I'm super sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. Uh, he's the... Uh, He's the man who portrays the alien in the movie, and the rest portray humans. <laughs> um, so the basic plot line of Alien, for those of you who don't know, it's a crew of, it's an industrial spacecraft crew. They're just like a bunch of blue-collar space workers, like basically oil rig workers in space, or truckers in space, as they were kind of described in the script. Um, they intercepted a, tr a mysterious transmission out in space coming from a mysterious planet of unknown origins. So they land, they check out where the transmission is coming from. They discover it is coming from um, a mysterious alien spacecraft. So uh, the crew entered the spacecraft to investigate. They come across a bunch of mysterious eggs. Uh, the eggs end up laying, end up, end up releasing a creature that attaches it to one of this, the crew members. The crew members take that crew member back aboard their spaceship. Uh, the creature ends up turning into a giant monster that starts killing them one by one, AKA alien. The whole basic plot line of the movie, it's basically, it's a haunted house movie. And for those of you who can just picture what a haunted house movie is, a group of people go inside the mysterious haunted house and one by one, they're slowly picked off by the monster or monsters or whatever creepy crawly thing is inside. Except this time, it's in space, you know, millions and millions of miles away from Earth, or any other humans for that matter. And slowly they're picked off by this giant monstrous alien. <laughs> um, I didn't actually watch this movie. This movie has become, it's on, this movie actually is on my top 10, in my official top 10 list of movies of all time. It's ranked at number 7, and currently... I have the, a framed poster for Alien hanging on my wall in my about, you know, four or five feet from where I'm sitting right now. Alien, I always grew up, as a kid, I always heard that it was just this super, super scary movie. And as a kid, I hated horror films. And I still, for the most part, hate horror films because they're scary. But I just never watched it because I just heard it was like, my friends always told me it was just this super scary monster movie. And then when I was about, it was when I was about 18. Yeah, I was 18, my first year of college. I just, it, that was the year, I remember it was, uh, the trailer for Prometheus came out, which is a prequel to the Alien series. And I just thought like, wow, that is a cool trailer. And I was like, wait, this seems kind of familiar. I feel like I've seen this before. And it was because, you know, I've seen you know, pop culture references to Alien, and I think I've probably seen a trailer once or twice. Um, so it just looked familiar. So I looked it up and was, and was saying like, okay, so this is part of the Alien series. And it just dawned on me like, wait, that didn't look all that scary. It looked, you know, basically just like uh, what you imagine a real science fiction movie would be, which is, you know, instead of us getting along with the aliens and, you know, becoming friends with them, they're going to try and fucking kill us, which is probably what's going to happen when humans eventually meet extraterrestrial life. They're going to probably attack us and try to eat us. <laughs> um, so through that, I, I started watching the, the movies, you know, started with the first one and then moving on to aliens and then the other two crappy sequels after that, <laughs> which shouldn't really count, but somehow do. Um, 
and just dawned on me like, wow, I shouldn't have been really that scared of this movie. This is a pretty, you know, it's scary because people get killed, but it's like, it's not like a, I didn't really think of it that much as a horror film. I still really don't. It's scary. Like there's still like, you know, shocking moments that'll like make you jump. But overall, it's just basically, it's just like, it's almost like an educational film of like what could really happen when humankind becomes advanced enough that we are able to explore like really deep outer space, you know, millions of miles from home. You know, we're going to find extraterrestrial life. And who knows, maybe some of them will be friendly and uh, nice and all that stuff. But there's probably going to be a lot of them that are like, regular predators that we find here on earth that are gonna try to attack us and kill us all right so let's get into the production let's see what's this movie all about okay so this movie the movie uh had gets its origin starting back in the early 1970s uh through the godfather arguably the godfather of the new hollywood's new age hollywood cinema roger corman and mr john carpenter Dan O'Banion was working with Carpenter on a low-budget sci-fi movie called Dark Star while he was in college. Um, the movie was intended to be, you know, what kind of like what Alien turned out to be, like kind of, you know, uh, astronauts fighting a monster, in, an alien monster in space, but it just turned out to be, because of the low budget, the real low budget, and, you know, it just turned into, you know, turned into more comedic, kind of film but you know instilled them that they still wanted to really that dan really wanted to make a true true science fiction movie so he started writing the, the outline the script with ronald uh around the time that they made um dark around the time they made dark star which also is around the time that they started make writing the script for a movie that was made in the early 90s called total recall um, through Dan O'Banion said, stated that he didn't, that because Alien, the script from Alien draws inspiration from just, you know, at this point it was the early 1970s. So, you know, the past 40, 50 years of science fiction work, you know, from both print and movies, you know, um, Dan O'Banion stated, I didn't steal Alien from anybody. I stole it from everybody. There's tons and tons of movies and science fiction books and magazines that have uh, various ref that you can find various homages to Alien or like almost like plot lines to Alien in. But that's like a common thing that you find in a lot of movies like my idol Tarantino. You know, you find his movies are basically every one of his movies is basically an, hom an homage to like tons of other movies and television. So in Alien, for example, uh. Forbid the classic fifties movie Forbidden Planet, Banyan said gave him the idea of, of a ship being warned not to land and then the crew being killed after that when they defied a warning. Um a movie called Planet of Vampires, where the heroes find a giant alien skeleton. Um a short story called The Junkyard by a man named Clifford D. Smike. I think I how you pronounce his name, where a crew lands on an asteroid, discovers a chamber full of eggs. Uh, the Thing from Another World, a movie from 1951, uh, um, said the idea of a, of the idea of professional men being pursued 
by an alien creature through a claustrophobic environment. You know, these people grew up, these guys all grew up in the 50s when science fiction B-movies, giant creature films, 3D movies, like, uh, like I said, Forbidden Planet, you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Those were all like the big sci-fi movies of the 50s. And those were some of the biggest movies of the 50s and 60s. So, um, all, all those inspirations started helping Dan and Ronald, a lot Dan, figure out, you know, how they want, how can they take all their love and make this into like the ultimate kind of alien movie. And apparently their biggest breakthrough for the script was the face hugger idea. Because the face hugger was the was the way for okay, that's how the creature gets on board the the alien ship. I mean the the crew's ship, the Nostromo. Because kind of like the obvious way would be like they land on the they land on the the planet, they explore the spaceship, and while they're exploring the ship, like the creature mysteriously sneaks out of the spaceship. And stows away onto the cruise ship, onto the Stromo. That would be like the most obvious choice. And they didn't want to do that. Or at least I just think they didn't want to do that. So the face hugger idea, you know, like I said, the, the, uh, that's, you know, the chamber full of eggs. The face hugger attaches itself to Kane and they have to rush Kane back to the ship. Rit, uh, Ridley originally did not want them to bring Kane aboard because he was quarant, because he was infected. And it would have, you know, it's like, you know, living in the modern world of COVID. You know, if people are infected, you don't want to be near them. So they broke, again, they broke the, they broke the rules, defied the warning, brought the monster onto the ship, and basically everybody died. Um, so the facehugger idea was the way of, of getting the alien on board the ship. And then that's when they realized, okay, we got it. Now we can really build the, the script. Um, Walter Hill, producers Walter Hill and Geiler said that the one thing that was added to the script that was like their idea, that wasn't really the idea of O'Banion or Ronald, was the idea of having Ash as an, as an android. Um, which, you know, is always cool. Android... Technically, Ash didn't really need to be an android at all throughout the movie. He could have just been like a super corrupt, you know, I'm following orders no matter what kind of businessman, military kind of guy. Instead, you know, you make him uh, an android and it makes, oh, okay, yeah, he's just, he's literally, he's literally programmed in his brain to follow all these crazy orders. So... And, you know, it's Ian, it was one of uh, Ian Holmes' you know, greatest roles and one of his most iconic roles besides that of Bilbo Baggins and stuff. So, um, so let's see. The, the, le- the whole... One of the greatest cons- aspects of Alien is the design. The whole movie has this really creepy-ass design. Before science fiction... It has it makes it has a very dark design. The alien ship that they find on the planet where the creatures and the eggs are, the whole thing is just dark. It is so dark, scary, gothic, mysterious. Unlike you know everything else science fiction beforehand, what is more bright, 
very bright colors, very light colors, you know, f kind of futuristic looking. The alien ship really just looks like like old school alien industrial look. So the whole and the, the it's because it it this is all because the movie the lead designer of the alien the lead production designer is a man named H.R. Geiger who is this insane I think he's Swedish this insane be artist who just he he his art falls into a genre he created that's called biomechanical which it's basically what it sounds like fusing human human biology with um machines and it's really hard to describe his work you know just through audio and through a podcast like you have to watching alien you know that's his work right there that's that's how you can imagine that's literally his design his work is watching alien um he is the one who designed the space jockey the giant alien corpse that they find sitting in the driver's seat of the alien ship um he also designed the whole other factor of the of the ship and the design and stuff like that so um H.R. Geiger is this really cool artist. Um, he's designed, like, I, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's dead at this point. But he helped design, like, so many other cool things. Like, other, he worked on some other movies that I'm not sure off, off the top of my head. I do know he designed a microphone stand uh, for the lead singer of Korn, Jonathan. Uh, he... He's got this sick-ass microphone stand that was designed by H.R. Geiger um, that he still uses to this day. It's so cool. Um, and there's really cool books online that you can go buy online or in your local bookstores, you know, art, art books about H.R. that I really want to get because his, it's, his work looks so fucking fascinating. It's insane. Um, all right, so moving on. So this, they wrote the script in the early to mid-'70s. But they just couldn't, like, you know, the classic Hollywood story, they couldn't get studios interested at the time to make the movie. No studio at the time was willing to, in the mid, and I'm stating this, again, in the early to mid-70s, no none of the studios were willing to, to finance a giant major science fiction film like this. You know, before this, at this time, at this point, when they had written the script, like, the biggest, most successful science fiction movie at that time was probably 2001 Space Odyssey and still one of the most successful to this day. Um, but studios just weren't willing to do that, you know, to run, to invest so the amount of money truly needed for this movie. They weren't willing to invest until a little movie in 1977 called Star Wars came out. I'm sure you've all heard Star Wars. I mean, I've, I think I've heard of it. I should have heard of it because I have the Jedi symbol tattooed on my back. <laughs> I really do have the Jedi symbol tattooed on my back. Um, so, in 1977, Star Wars came out. And it was through that that they were finally able to get 20th Century Fox. Um, after Star Wars came out, you know... Uh, Tons and studios realize like, oh, wait, there is a lot of money to be made in science fiction because Star Wars became the biggest movie of all time and completely changed cinema and pop culture forever. 
So studios realize, okay, yep, there's money to be made in this. So they're naturally they start looking around what can whether science fiction movies can be made. Oh, Alien. Let's go forward with Alien. So, so um, thanks to Star, it was really in a lot of ways. It's thanks to it's because of Star Wars that we got to have Alien. So thank you, thank you, George Lucas. Good job. <laughs> Um, let's see. Ron Cobb and Chris Foss were the lead designers of the Stromo, which were shot using both models and full size interior sets. Um, this is this is honestly truly. It sound, may sound kind of weird, but this is truly like the thing about this movie that I fucking love the most. I have a deep love of science fiction vehicles like starships hovercrafts, all sorts of going this dating back to my love of the matrix. You know, my dream with the matrix is I've always wanted to be a crew member. Still to this day, I've always wanted to be like be on one of those hovercrafts. I want to drive one of those hovercrafts. And so that, that got me interested, like almost every other, like any science fiction movie that, you know, takes place in like a cool space station or a spaceship, starship, anything like that. Cool interiors, I, it just it hooks me because it just gets me into that fantasy of like I want to be there, and then this Alien is one of the best examples of that, because while the exterior shots when you see like the ship going through space, those are all just models. Those are all models in the same way that you know Star the original Star Wars shot you know the Star Destroyers, Death Star, all that stuff. It was just all big models, but the interior of the ship that was a full real set every bit of that ship was connected all three floors were fully connected in sound stages um designed where like you know the crew could like mount the cameras behind the walls and like take things apart but you can move throughout the entire ship move from you know the cockpit into the breakfast nook into the crew quarters into the dungeons below into uh, Dallas's captain's chair room thing, whatever it is. The whole place is fully connected, um, which costs a lot of money and it's really hard to do. But that to me is just so cool. Like I would have loved, I would have had so much fun just being in that set. It would have gotten really claustrophobic for sure. But that's to me is just so fucking cool. Um, Roger Christensen was the head production designer for the sets, and he had just won an Oscar for Star Wars at that point. So that's, you know, was, you know, at that point, you know, it's good that they got the man who helped design, like, all the all the stuff for Star Wars. Uh, it's like, hey, come do this other major science fiction film that's going to become a cultural phenomenon. The look where they were going for was a used industrial look. Um for the Nostromo. You know, they the whole truckers in space aspect is really what they were going for with a lot of the theme, a lot of the feel and aura of the film. You know, hence why like all the the crew members literally they don't look like, you know, science fiction explorers or anything like that. They literally look like blue collar truckers that you would find at a bar. <laughs> They'd find at your local dive bar. So um like the whole design of the ship uh, was based around that. 
H.R. Geiger designed all the alien aspects himself, though. Airbrushing all the sets himself. Um, one of the claustrophobia aspect of the Nostromo set being fully connected um, really assisted in the actors and the performance of feeling that there's no escape from this monster. Which is true. Like, even when you yell cut, like... When you yell cut, they're still in between takes. They're still inside the the place where the monster is. So it, it kind of gives you that, like, you got to get crazy during a movie. Like, when you're making a movie, you got to really feel like you're really on a mission to making a movie. You got to really believe in, like, everything. So just believing in between takes, like, almost like method acting of just knowing that there's no escape from this haunted house right now. Um, so the space jock, um, the, so the, what's interesting, what's really cool about the space jockey set that H.R. Geiger designed, the whole interior of the big space, the big alien spaceship is you, what you see in the movie is full real scale. Like it, it took up an entire huge fucking huge soundstage to create the jockey room. Um, you know, originally, and that costs a lot of the butt. That costs a lot of money. Um, and originally, you know, studio did not want it to be that big of a set because it was only one scene. You know, they it's only a one scene f- shot. Like, they're not using it for, like, the whole movie. If it was being used for, the, like, the whole, for, like, multiple scenes throughout the movie, then, yeah, they probably would have gone for it. But it was just this one scene of them in the ship and finding the skeleton and stuff like that. But the reason that Ridley HR and all the, them really pushed them have it built in real scale, you know, being however tall it was 50, 60, 70 to hundred feet. It's like a, it's literally a huge factory sized place. Um, they wanted it to be that big and real because they want the audience to know this is a movie on the same level as Star Wars. You know, science fiction has changed. You know, we're going in, we're truly going into the future. We're not having science fiction movies look like, you know, 50s B movies anymore. Not look like, you know, cut, like this stuff could have been made by like high schoolers or something. We want this to look real. We want the people to feel the same kind of fear and anxiety that the crew is feeling exploring this giant alien ship. So, um, so they did and it worked really well and I'm so glad that they did it. Um, one of the other things that they did though, to help make it to scale even more was using kids in the shots where, you know, the, the camera pulls back and you see the space jockey and stuff like that. Um, to help give it even more scale of, like, this is a huge room. The actors that you see on screen, the three the three uh, heroes, it's actually children doing that. It's actually, uh, like, uh, children in spacesuits. to You know, because they're, you know, a few feet you know, much shorter than the adults. So it'll give it a bigger scale, you know, smaller people, smaller people, bigger scale. So that was pretty cool. They did that in the shots of the space jockey and the shots of 
them being lowered from the Nostromo and the big Nostromo ship leg and stuff like that. Um, the last, the last thing I want to talk about was Kane. So originally, John Hurt was not supposed to be in the movie. He originally passed on the movie because he was involved in another movie. He was working on another movie at the time. So the original actor they had cast as Kane was, I forget his name. Um, did I write it down? I did not. So the original actor they had for Kane decided, um, not decided, was on set. Everything was going well. It's the first day of shooting, uh, first scene they're shooting with Kane. He gets on the set. They call action. And this guy literally looks like he's about to roll over and die. Like he just looks so ill and sick. And they're like, what's going on? And he's like, I, I, I can't, I don't feel good. I don't know what's going on. And they literally had to like lift him out of his chair and they had to like get him to a hospital and stuff like that. And it turns out they found out that at that point that he was a diabetic. So, um, <laughs> so they did, uh, so at that point, you know, he had to be dropped from the movie and luckily enough, John Hurt was now available to take over the role as Kane and it became one of John Hurt's most iconic roles. Um, the last thing I'll talk about, which is probably one of the most common knowledge movie behind the scene knowledges of Alien, but I'll tell you again anyways. The reaction, the chestburster scene, which is the most iconic shot of the entire movie, the, the, the original chestburster scene, that, that was a moment in movie theaters that literally at the time, in 1979, made people faint. That doesn't sound that scary nowadays, but in 79, that alien bursting out of his chest like that literally made people... Because this is still... It's still bloody and gory as fuck. Um, but just, like, compared to, you know, modern slasher horror films, uh, it's not that bloody. Um, but that whole thing was pure practical effects. No... I mean, yeah, it was all spe it was special effects, but pure practicality. Everything done real on the day. Um, and none of the actors, except for, you know, John Hurt, he knew it was coming because he was, you know, the one being shot out of, but the other actors didn't, they, they didn't know what it was going to look like. They didn't know it was going to be like that. They knew something was going to happen. They just didn't know what. So the shots, the, the shots of genuine shock that the actors have on their face, that's real because they weren't expecting you know, his chest to start bursting out like that and the fucking creature to jump out all like that and blood and guts flying everywhere. But, um, and it was, it, like, everything was real. Like, the blood splurting on the actors, you know, um, everything. All those reactions were 100% real. And that's one of the brilliant parts of filmmaking is, like, you know, almost like a director, like kind of fucking with his act with the, with his or her actors. You know, I'm not going to tell him that this is going to happen, and I'm going to get the reaction, and it's going to add to the story. Um, it's just pretty, you know. Um, this is it's it's kind of a funny thing to do, um, but it, it worked really well, and you know they used all those shots in the movies, and it's become the iconic, beautiful scene that it's become. What are Let's see, is there really any theme at the end? Like, what are the themes of Alien? 
um, caution. Use caution, I guess, is always a theme. Having caution. Uh, going with your gut, I guess. Your gut instincts might be right. You know, Ridley's gut instincts were right. Um, let's see. I guess I should also mention, like, for those of you who don't know, like, this whole movie, like, with Ridley being the hero, was also a truly amazing uh, milestone moment in not only science fiction, but movie history with a woman being the big action hero star of the movie. And, you know, she went on to star in, like, three other movies, you know, notably Aliens, where she was nominated for an Academy Award for the role of Ridley. Um, Sigourney Weaver really broke a barrier with this movie in showing that women can lead a big budget action movie, that the women can be the big hero and be, you know, just, it should have, people should have realized that, you know, decades and decades ago, but how, you know, society, you know, it's, it is, society sucks. Um, but Sigourney broke through so much of Ridley um, and truly changed the game for women. And that's just fucking awesome. That's, she's truly, she is the true queen of sci-fi. Um, all right, so that's really all I have to say about Alien. Um, thank you all for listening, if you've made it this far into the podcast. Um, it's been a long, hot minute since I recorded one of these. Um, I actually have all my notes set up for the next podcast, which I'll record with probably within the next week or so. Um, and, you know, I'm going to keep, you know, I don't want to, I really fell out of this. I just, you know, life gets in the way, depression gets in the way. But just realizing that, you know, I want to keep going forward with this. I like having this podcast. It makes me feel good. I love doing it. I like talking to you people, even though I don't know who any of you are. Um, and I just, you know, just even if I'm talking, just, you know, I'm sitting in my room by myself, just talking about movies and television makes me happier than anything. So thank you for listening. Uh, this is your host, Brandon Devine. And thank you for tuning in this amazing new episode of Imagination Fun Time. Until next time. Huh. I don't really know. what I, I felt like I was going to have something witty to say, but I don't really. Please just go watch some good movies. Go watch Alien. If you never watch Alien, please go watch Alien. It's a great movie. All right. And pl- so that's it. Tune in next time. Until then, thank you very much, folks.